children. It is, it's actually a different time. It's 6 p.m. I'm, I decided to drive over to where I usually read, but it's p.m., not a.m. And it looks so different in the day. There are people around. I can actually see the, the aircraft carrier. The namesake is doing soccer practice at the moment. I figured I could read a few chapters of Second Chronicles. And, and uh, then we'll pick them up. And I think I'll keep the, uh, maybe I'll keep the, uh, thing, the thing running, the recording. Now in California, where we are, we are a two-party state, meaning both parties have to agree to be recorded. So I'm going to break that rule and and uh, break a federal crime in recording my namesake child. See how he was for uh, how he was with soccer practice and all that good stuff. <clears throat> so I'm kind of like front-loading the scripture first, and then we're going to listen to um, them at the my son at the end. So, Second Chronicles, Chronicles, the reign of Solomon, and also the reign of the kings of Judah, and the return proclamation of Cyrus. So, just an idea what we're what we're doing here. Chapter one: <clears throat> Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in all Israel, the heads of fathers' houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For the tent of meeting of God, which Moses the servant of the Lord had made in the wilderness, was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your words, David, my father, be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you a king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon, from before the tent of meeting, to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon gathered... Uh, together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in, in Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold as common as 
In Jerusalem, his stone, and he made cedars plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew. And the king's traders would buy them from Kew for a price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Likewise, through them, these were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Chapter 2. Now Solomon purposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. And Solomon assigned 70,000 men to bear burdens and 80,000 to quarry in the hill country and 3,600 to oversee them. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, As you dealt with David my father, and sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, and dedicate it to him for the brave incense of sweet spices before him, and for the regular arrangement of the showbread, and for burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, and the new moons, and the appointed feasts of the Lord our God, as ordained forever for Israel. The house that I am to build would be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house, since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him, except as a place to make offerings before him? So now send me a man skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving, to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress, and algum, uh, algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber in Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance. For the house I am to build with great will be great and wonderful. I will give your servants, the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of crushed wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, answered in a letter that he sent to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth, who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Now I have sent a skilled man who has understanding, Huram Abi, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre. He is trained to work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, and wood, and in purple, blue, and crimson fabrics, and fine linen, and to do all sorts of engraving and execute any design that may be assigned him. With your craftsmen, the craftsmen of my lord, David your father. Now therefore the wheat and barley, oil and wine, of which my lord has spoken, let him send to his servants. And we will cut whatever timber you need from Lebanon and bring it to you in grafts by sea to Joppa, so that you may take it up to Jerusalem. Then Solomon counted all the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. After the census of them that David his father had taken, and there were, were found 150,600. 70,000 of them he assigned to bear burdens. 80,000 to quarry in the hill country, and 3,600 as overseers to make the people work. Okay, I'm going to pause it right there. That's the end of chapter 2. What does it mean to bear a burden? Let's see. What does that mean? I mean, a bar burden. <sighs> well, it doesn't say.
chapter 3. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. He began to build in the second month of the fourth year of his reign. These are Solomon's measurements for building the house of God. The length in cubits of the old standard was 60 cubits, and the breadth 20 cubits. The vestibule in front of the nave in the house of the house was 20 cubits long, equal to that width of the house, and its weight height was 120 cubits. He overlaid it on the inside with pure gold. The nave he lined with cypress and covered it with fine gold and made palms and chains on it. He adorned the house with settings of precious stones. The gold was gold of parvain. So he lined the house with gold, its beams, its thresholds, its walls, and its doors, and he carved cherubim on the walls. And he made the most holy place. Its length corresponding to the breadth of the house was 20 cubits, and its breadth was 20 cubits. He overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of gold for the nails was 50 shekels, and he overlaid the upper chambers with gold. In the most holy place he made two cherubim of wood, and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim together... The wings of the cherubim together extended 20 cubits. One wing of, of the one of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and its other wing of five cubits touched the wing of the other cherub. And of this cherub, one wing of five cubits touched the wall of the house, and the other wing, also of five cubits, was joined to the wing of the first cherub. The wings of these cherubim extended 20 cubits. The cherubim stood on their feet, facing the nave, and he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson fabrics and fine linen, and he worked a cherubim on it. In front of the house he made two pillars, thirty-five cubits high, with a capital of five cubits on the top of each. He made chains like a necklace and put them on the tops of the pillars, and he made a hundred pomegranates and put them on the chains. He set up the pillars in front of the temple, one on the south and one on the north. That on the south he called Jackin, and that on the north he called uh, uh, he called Boaz. Chapter four. He made an altar of bronze, twenty cubits long and twenty cubits wide and ten cubits high. Then he made the sea of cast metal. It was round, ten cubits from brim to brim and five cubits high, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. Under it were figures of gourds for ten cubits, compassing the sea all around. The gourds were in two rows, cast with, with it when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. The sea was set on them, and all their rear parts were inward. Its thickness was a hand's breadth, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup. Like the flower of a lily, it held three thousand baths. He also made ten basins, in which to wash, and set five on the south side, and five on the north side. In these they were to rinse off what was used for the burnt offering, and the sea was for the priest to wash in. And he made ten golden lampstands, as prescribed, and set them in the temple, five on the south side, five on the north. He also made ten tables and placed them in the temple, five on the south side, and five on the north. And he made a hundred basins of gold. He made the court of the priests, and great court and doors, uh, for the court, and overlaid their doors with bronze, and he set the sea at the southeast corner of the house. 
Hiram also made the pots, the shovels, the basins. So Hiram finished the work that he did for King Solomon on the house of God. The two pillars, the bowls, and the two capitals on the top of the pillars, and the two lattice works to cover the two bowls of the, of the capitals that were on the top of the pillars. And the 400 pomegranates for the two lattice works, two rows of pomegranates for each lattice work to cover the two bowls of the capitals that were on the pillars. He made the stands also, and the basins on the stands, and the one sea and the twelve oxen underneath it, the pots, the shovels, the forks, and all the equipment for these. Huram Abi made the burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. In the plain of the Jordan, the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkoth and Zerada. Solomon made all these things in great quantities, for the weight of the bronze was not sought. So Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of God, the golden altar, the tablets for the bread of the presence, the lampstands and their lamps of pure gold, to burn before the inner sanctuary as prescribed, the flowers, the lamps, and the tongs of purest gold, the snuffers, basins, dishes for incense, and firepans of pure gold, and the sockets of the temple for the inner doors to the most holy place, and for the doors of the nave of the temple were of gold. Let's see what time is it. Plenty of time. Chapter 5. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated, and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering of the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. There is nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with the cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with twenty priests, 120 priests, who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in the praise of the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I'm going to hold off there. That's five chapters. We're going to start the car, and we're going to head back and watch the last half hour of, of namesake's practice. But... Lots of things going on, and I'm going to bring this up a lot, and I should probably listen to it as well. King David was probably the most 
devout king. Uh, I, I think Hezekiah is a, a strong second. But King David was, he was truly a man after God's heart. And even after defeating a giant, after killing tens of thousands of people single-handedly in battle, um, no matter what David's great feats were, he always attributed them to God. You would think God would let him do almost anything, but God would not let King David... He would not let King David do his, pursue his dream of creating a temple to the Lord. Uh, I found it really interesting in this, in this, these passages, where they actually they still have Moses, Moses's, um, the tablets from the, from uh, when God gave them the law and the covenant. I'd love to know how much time had passed between Moses and, and David. I want to say it's a few hundred years, maybe um, maybe a thousand. I don't know. Um, in fact, we're gonna look that up. I'm just drive right now, trying to. Okay, let's see. Let's, see let's look this up. Well, years between Moses and Solomon were 12 generations, roughly 480 years. So I was right, 500 years. Still, I think it's phenomenal that they still have these stone tablets. Mm. So, children, I'm learning this better than any of you. Just because it's one of your dreams doesn't mean God's going to ordain it. You may want to do something really badly. That don't mean it's going to happen. Change your outlook. And this is such a loud street where I'm on. Temper your expectations. God has something phenomenal for you guys. And it may not be what you planned. I think about Moses a lot too. Moses left Egypt at 40. He was in the desert for 40 more years. God didn't call Moses until he was 80. And he called him home when he was 120. But he was devout and he was a man of integrity. So maybe that's the lesson. Be people of integrity. It's like I think they'd keep it up. Okay. <sighs> We're gonna go back. We're probably gonna watch the last half hour of his practice of scrimmaging. So most likely, what I'll do it's I'm like 19 minutes in. I'll pause this, or maybe even stop it, and then restart when when we get back in the car.
I wonder what this place is going to look like, this Navy base, when you guys finally start listening to these episodes. Sometimes it feels like this is just an impossible task, reading through the Bible. I get discouraged quite a bit. I'm about, according to this Bible, maybe a fifth of the way through. I don't know. But for me, it's not so much about completing it, it's about doing it well. So I'm going to try and do this thing well. Hopefully you guys will be okay with that. Hopefully. It's fleet week this week. There's a lot of blue angels flying around, rumbling our windows. It's kind of cool. We went last year. You guys had a blast. Actually, then what did we do? We we went to uh, yeah, we went to Chevy's after that. It's like the worst, it's like the worst service at Chevy's. And then we came home. It was like really bad service. But. Sometimes, like, the service is so bad, you're, like, you're almost amused by it. Growing up, whenever we went out to eat, my dad and mom would be quite unforgiving to the wait staff. I remember, it, 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 I'm sure it traumatized all four of us, me and my three older sisters. Because I remember the first time we really went out to dinner alone, just the four of us. It was in uh, somewhere past Sacramento. And we were so nice to the wait staff. And, and the, nobody's perfect, especially, you know, servers aren't perfect. And, and demanding perfection is a little arrogant. But we kind of shared about how, yeah, mom and dad really sucked when it came to treating people nicely. Okay. So, right now, I'm driving through the USS Hornet parking lot, because this parking lot is adjacent to a street, which will go straight next to my son's soccer game, soccer uh, practice. So cool. I never get tired of seeing the, the this aircraft carrier. It's so amazing. Like, I couldn't couldn't can't even fathom the chain on that anchor. I mean, it's like the chain the link is almost the size of my torso. Mom is in Santa Cruz right now with the King for a Cub Scout, or actually it's a Weeblow overnight campout. So I'm I'm just here 
with three kids. Your your cousin came over, your younger cousin, but from your aunt came over, and the spy will be hanging out with his two younger cousins, youngest cousins in Sacramento tomorrow. They're gonna pick them up maybe after a soccer game. So I'll only have like two kids for a little bit, the older two. So that's gonna be interesting. watching my son play soccer. He's so good. He's so amazing. Alright, I'm going to pause it for now. I'm going to walk out there and watch. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God's and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. 
He's the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. That's my King. Yeah. 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 That's my King. My King. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heaven cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't even teach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. is the kingdom and the power and the glory the glory is all his thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and when you get through with all of the forever then amen